Hello again, Fight fans, and welcome to episode number 311 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine and RingTV.com and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. As always, guys, I remind you, make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you click that notification bell so you never miss a live video. And I remind you that the latest episode, issue, sorry, the latest issue of the magazine is out in stores. It features the 100 greatest punchers of the last 100 years. Uh, the latest episode of the show, of course, is right now. Episode 311. So, um... We got much, much to discuss. I want to make sure that I got you guys here uh, checking my volume levels, checking the phone lines. Looks like we are good to go. Uh, you guys can hear me okay? Everything's good to go? Let me know if you're having any issues with the audio or whatever. I was having some weird tech stuff going on just before I went live, so I just want to make sure that we good. Okay. <clears throat> okay, you guys hear me? All right, cool. All right. So uh, episode 311 and we are almost in May, but not until we have one more great weekend of fights to round out what has been a great month of April. And yes, uh, Owen in the chat asking, is this a crunk shirt? Yes. Check this out. Official crunk gear. Boom. And this is the real deal. This is uh, from crunk gym in Detroit. And uh, thank you to the whole crew up there to John LaPac and everybody at crunk. Uh, for sending me some swag. And uh, of course, I represent that crunk brand proudly. All right, you guys are saying something's up with the mic. Shit. I thought so. Not sure what is up. Hang on a second. Let me make sure I get this right. Because <clears throat> I thought something sounded a bit off too. Uh, bah, 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 bah. And yes, I will get you guys the, the link to the crunk gear. Don't worry about that. I want to make sure I'm... I can hear perfectly fine, but you guys can't. All right. Damn it. I hate technology. I just hate it. <clears throat> uh, hang on one second, guys. I'm going to text my lovely wife and ask her to. Can you log on? They say the audio is off. I hope I didn't screw something up. I haven't changed any settings, so <laughs> Christopher says it could be my sissy allergies. Hey, man, I'm doing a lot better with the allergies, actually. See, some of you guys can hear me and some of you can't, so that's why I don't understand what's going on here, but um, I'm not sure with the audio because I'm hearing everything fine on my end. Okay, you guys, some of you, you guys say that you hear me, so I don't know what's going on. Some of you, it might be... Uh, Something with your audio settings on your end, because my shit's good. <laughs> All right. So uh, listen, uh, we're going to go to the guest line here. We've got uh, Erickson, the hammer, Lubin on. And he's been ever so gracious to join us for a few minutes to talk about his fight a couple weeks ago with Sebastian Fondora and some other things. So I'm going to bring him up on the show, and we'll talk to him for a few minutes. All right, guys? Hang on real quick. Mr. Erickson Lubin, the hammer. Can you hear me, sir? Yeah, I can hear you. You can hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you too. You good to go? Okay. Yeah, sorry. I was having some tech issues earlier, and I just want to make sure I didn't screw anything up because I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to technology. Uh, so, First of all, thank you very, very much for joining us 
Um, my first question, I mean, two weeks ago, you had a great, great fight with Sebastian Fundora. I think it's a fight of the year candidate. Plenty of drama, action both ways, but it was also a brutal fight. I know that there are a couple of injuries. So first and foremost, how are you feeling physically, mentally, and emotionally after that fight? Um, I feel great. I feel great. I feel like it was a, it was, it was a rough battle. You know, it was a war. Me and Sebastian, you know, we gave it our all in that ring that night. But um, I, I feel great emotionally, physically. Uh, you know, after the fight for like a week or two, I was pretty beaten up. But um, I'm good now. I'm I'm good. You know, um, doing a little bit of rehab on my on my on my shoulder. But, uh, you know, I, I'll be I'll be fine for the end of the year. Well, I think you separated your right shoulder. Correct me if I'm wrong, but your right shoulder in the third round. Of course, you being a southpaw, that's your lead arm. That affected your jab. That affected your defense. Um, did you know it was hurt when the third round happened, or did it take a while for you to know? I mean, it took a while because my adrenaline was rushing. But um, middle rounds, maybe like five or six, I started to notice, like, you know, like, my my jab hand wasn't really strong. It wasn't strong. Like I wasn't able to jab him as effectively. So I felt like, you know, there's something wrong with my shoulder. And then I knew for sure, like I knew for sure, like even before I dropped him, I knew for sure um I, I something was wrong with my right shoulder. Mm. So I was trying to throw my hook the way I throw it. It was just it was coming off a little bit different than I was like, there's like a little pain to it. But I ignored it. I was like, you know, I'm in a fight right now. I'm in, I'm in a I'm in a rough battle right now. I, I just ignored it. And then by round seven, I think I dropped him. And then the first punch I threw was my was my right hook. I was trying to just take him out with it um, right after uh, because I knew I knew I was busted up and everything. But I, the first punch I threw was my right hook. I was trying to just you know take him out with my with my right hook. But after I threw that punch, I landed it, but it hurt me because my my shoulder mm -hmm. was like you know, I felt it in my shoulder. I was like ah, that shit hurt me. <laughs> and then um, I went back to the I went back to the corner, you know. Um, um, Kevin was, he, he saw my face. He was just like, um, he, he saw my face all busted up. He was just telling, he gave me instructions. I went out the next round and then, um, actually in the corner, in the corner, my cut man, he, he pretty much told me like, damn, like there's, there's not much he can do. He was like, he's like, there's not much I can do. And I'm just like, I'm looking at him. I'm like, fuck it. I'm in a fight. I was just like, mm -hmm. I ignored it. I was like, I'm in a fight. I'm in a fight. I'm just going to. You know, I'm gonna try to take him out because it was, it was around right after I dropped him. I just felt like you know, now now things are shifting my way, but I'm still busted up. You know, I knew I was busted up. Could you see? Because that's that's the next thing I was gonna ask you. Did you think you had him after you dropped him in the seventh? Because it really felt like the momentum changed. I mean, you really hurt him there. Could you see? Because that eye was swollen. I could see. I could see. I could definitely see. I could. I could see, but it was like it was a little blurry for me out of mm. my eye. But I could still see. Okay. And did you think that you had him or did you think, okay, yeah, let me be I, careful I here? That the whole fight, the whole fight, I felt like, you know, I, I, I was going to win the fight. I didn't, I, I never feel down on myself. You know, I'm, I'm always like trying to figure him out. If I, even if, even if it's a back and forth battle, I'm still, I'm still in the ring trying to figure him out. I'm trying to, trying to do certain things that's going to throw him off. I'm still trying to land a big punch. I'm still putting things together. But, um, yeah, I felt like I had him. I felt like I had him, but it was just like, you know, I, I was I was trying to respond to a lot. I was responding to my shoulder being hurt and then, you know, my face being busted. And then, you know, like um, he he's real tall. So I still had my game plan in my mind, too. I was like, 
you know, it was a lot of a lot of things I was juggling in my mind while I was fighting them. Yeah, with your face, I heard that you you broke your nose. Is that true? I heard I heard a lot of different things. What exactly? What injuries did you have? Because you had that big swelling and everything yeah. else. What injuries um, did you have? Um, I just had a little hairline fracture in my nose. That was about it. So it's just swelling. Yeah, it's just a little bit, a little okay. bit of swelling. It's straight. And his height, obviously, he's he's a freak of nature. He's like six foot five for that division. We've never seen yeah. that before. Right. Was it just the height? that gave you some issues or were there other things he was doing that maybe you didn't expect that maybe you underestimated him? Um, I mean, his height was definitely, uh, it was definitely different, you know, um, being in there, being in there on fight night in front of, in front of someone so tall, it was just, it was a little different for me, but I, I was still, I mean, I knew, I knew he was going to come the same way he always comes. He always comes ready to fight and, you know, he always brings the fight just like how he did on, uh, um, April 9th. Mm. But um I felt I felt like I felt like my game plan was working, but right when my when my shoulder, you know, gave out a little bit, I just uh I felt like my game plan went out the window. I just had to fight him. Okay. I, like, I, had to, I had to pretty much fight his fight. I had to throw my game plan out the window and just, you know, just just go for it. Like it's a fight. Yeah, because you, you were having so much success with that lead hook early on, and it did seem to kind of change. And I remember watching live, asking myself, I wonder if you hurt that right. I thought maybe you hurt your hand. I thought maybe you hurt the right hand. So when I heard later on that you hurt the shoulder, that made sense. Um, as far as the actual stoppage, you know, after eight rounds, I think two judges had you up. I think one judge had to the draw. Were you good with Kevin stopping the fight? Or were you were you pissed? Did you want to keep going? I mean, I me as a fighter, I definitely wanted to keep going. You know, I was I was I was going back to going back to the corner every round, just thinking like. All right. Well, we won that round, or I was like, all right, that was a close round. I'll, I'll, I'll just say it in my head, but um, I knew the fight was definitely close. I, I wanted to finish the fight, but I don't blame Kevin. He was looking out for my safety. He was, um, you know, he he. That's not something he's he's definitely competitive. That's not something he wanted to do, but mm -hmm. he just um, he he said that he was looking out for my safety, and then my cut man, you know, he came back to the corner and told us there's not much that he could do. So like, yeah. you guys didn't have an end swell, right? I mean, I don't even think he put too much in swell on me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think he had some uh, a bag of ice he was putting on. What me. happened there? Did you guys talk about that afterwards? Nah, we 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 haven't we haven't spoke about that. Okay. Because I know a lot of people, you know, boxing Twitter. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off, but everybody on boxing Twitter is an expert, you know, and they're all like, "Where's the end swell? Where's the end swell? That would have prevented the swelling." Did that enter your mind at any point? I mean, a little. Uh, after the fight, it did because it was like, damn, just like you know, maybe ten percent or twenty percent less swelling, we could have continued the fight. Mm -hmm. You know, at least like twenty percent of the of 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 less swelling. You know, Kevin wouldn't have you know decided to stop the fight because he said you know I had a fucking a big, big, big ass big ass swelling in my yeah. forehead, around my eyes and everything. I can't believe you didn't break an orbital bone. So, because that's what it looked like to me when you see that swelling right here. You know, we've seen that in a lot of fights, but everything's good, huh? Man, I'm straight. Wow. <laughs> wow. Really, Iron Man. <laughs> Iron Man. All right. We have a super chat question from Sam. Uh, Sam is asking, uh, why were the uppercuts from Fondora so successful? 
And this is him asking, why couldn't you make adjustments? Was he just that hard to avoid his shots? And I think what Sam's getting to is, you know, later on in the fight, in the middle rounds, he really did start to have success with those uppercuts right down the middle. And it seemed like he was able to catch you on the line. When you were trying to get off to a side, he got you on the line. Was it vision or was it just him being the taller guy able to kind of move you, do you think, on the inside? When I, when I, was, trying to, when I was trying to box Fandora, when, when, when I tried to make it an outside fight for a little bit, like after a couple steps, I, like, I'll take like three steps. I'll, I'll take like three steps. And he'll take one step and be right back in, in okay. right back in my in my area. So I was trying to. That's why I, after I blew my shoulder out, I had to make it a fight. I just had to make it a fight. I, I couldn't. The so game plan went out the window. Yeah, game plan really fine. went out the window for me because I couldn't box him no more. My lead, my jab hand was gone. I couldn't check hook him like that. It was just. It was. It was uh, I. I just had to make it a fight. I just had to stay in that fire with him. Right. Well, you mentioned earlier that you think you're going to be back in the ring by the end of the year. Uh, have you talked to your team at all about, you know, recovery time, uh, recovering from that shoulder injury, when you get back in camp, and then when you think you might actually be back in the ring? Have you discussed names at all, anything like that? Uh, no, not, not too much. We, we talked briefly about um, just getting the shoulder worked on and recovering a little bit, and then, you know, we'll talk again when it's time. Okay. Do, do you need surgery on this, or is it the kind of thing where you can just let it rest? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think there was uh, the night of the fight they were talking about surgery, but mm-hmm. um, I just went to I went to some rehab today, and you know we were just working on it a little bit. Got some laser done on it, and um, I, I'll know by the end of the week. Okay. If I if I need surgery on it or not. And it's staying in your division, Jamel Charlo, Brian Castaño having a rematch next month. How do you see that fight playing out? First of all, who won the first fight, in your opinion? And then how do you see that rematch playing out? Um, it's, that's a great fight. That's a great matchup. Um, I think the first fight, it could have went either way. It was a, it was a, it was a close fight. Right. I'm okay with the draw. Um, and I think the second fight, you know, it's up to Charlo to make those adjustments. You know, he's more athletic than um, Brian Castaño is, so I think he can make some – no different different um adjustments that uh have him you know come out on top. So you like Charlo in that rematch? Yeah. And then so there's you know, all the belts will be on the line. There's a million mandatories, you know how this whole thing works. Right. Now Sebastian Fondora is lined up, I think, for a mandatory position at some point. Tim Zhu. Uh what do you think of Tim Zhu? Have you seen much of him and what do you think of him? Um, I think he's a good fighter. He's a good fighter. I've seen him against Terrell Gouche. That was like the first time First time I ever watched him. I think mm-hmm. he's a good fighter. He's aggressive. He brings the fight. And um, I think the whole division is loaded. So yeah. You know, with my comeback fight, it, it'd definitely be something special still. You know, with a with a with a top ten type of fighter. So you're coming right back to it. Top yeah, ten yeah, guy. Sure. Yeah. Those belts about to be free. And um I'm still looking to grab one of those belts and be a world champion. You mentioned those belts being free. So you, you feel that if Charlo beats Castaño, he'll probably move up to 160 and everything will blow up? Maybe. That's that's a possibility. That's a possibility. But I, I just don't see him holding all those belts. I think, you know, either one of those guys, uh, if, 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 if Brian Castaño becomes undisputed champion, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll line myself up for that for that fight too. Charlo wins, you know, it's up to him if he's going to stay in the division or go up to 160. Right. 
And then with Fondora, where do you, based on, you know, your experience with him, how do you think he fits into that whole mix at 154? I mean, he's a great fighter. He's a great fighter. He, um, he comes, he comes, he comes, he comes to fight every, every time out. I think he's one of the top dudes in the division. I think, um, that night he showed it. And I got to ask you something. Um, you know, after you lost to Charlo, and I was ringside for that fight. I, re- I remember that vividly, that knockout. A lot of people wrote you off. And, it's you know, you went on this tear. You won like six, seven fights in a row, some great opponents. And I felt that you really, really proved yourself in those fights. Yet, there were still a lot of people doubting you. Right. I felt like I was watching a guy fight with a chip on his shoulder against Fundora. Like, you were trying to prove to people, I'm for real. Was that in your mind a little bit? Because you took hellacious punches that would have dropped 99% of guys in the division, and you kept coming forward. Was that on your mind, or were you just caught up in the fight? Man, I was hungry. I was hungry before that fight. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I know I know, I know, know people look at the Charlo fight and may write me off a little bit, but I knew um, I was just getting myself in line. You know, they come, they come in with eliminator after eliminator after eliminator. But you know, I, I never, I never complained about it. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna keep beating the top dudes. Keep bringing them. Fuck it. Bring mm-hmm. this guy. Bring this guy. Bring this guy. No you know, soft. I, I, you got right back like, in there, man. Top dudes. Yeah. I gotta ask you about the heavyweight division. Did you see the uh, the Fury White fight this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What did you think? I think Tyson Fury. He's just, you know, he he's a great heavyweight. He got he got all the tools to be. I think he's one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. How about that? That's the debate right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, because a lot of people, a lot of the Tyson Fury fans are calling him the GOAT. And, all this. I, and I'm like, hey, slow down. Slow down. I want to see him fight the winner of the Usyk-Joshua rematch. Now, like, do you need to see that to think Fury's great? Or does that not matter? Do you think his legacy? I don't think it matters. Great? I don't think it matters, man. Really? I don't think it matters. I, I give Fury that title now because he... Look, he beat Klitschko's. He beat. He already. Um, he beat Deontay Wilder. Those trilogies with um, with uh, Wilder was just crazy. Those were crazy fights. All Fun his fights. fights. Yeah, good fights. So I think he he definitely earned it now. And then um, before uh, Charlo Castaño, there's uh, Canelo Bevo. Let me ask you about that real quick, and then I'll let you go. Uh, how do you see that fight playing out between Canelo Alvarez, Dimitri Bevo? I think it's gonna be a, a real technical fight, but I think Canelo's gonna um he's gonna bring the fight. He he's he's gonna do what he does and come out on top. So you think he gets a decision or do yeah. you think he stops people? Yeah, I, I think he gets a decision this time. Goes all twelve. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, Hammer, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. And when you me, get bro. the next fight lined up, we'll get you back on so we can preview that matchup. In the meantime, rest up that shoulder, feel better, my man. And uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for having me, bro. All right. Have a good one. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. The hammer. I dropped my notes. Let me grab him. (laughs) Um, Great interview, man. I thought that, um, you know, I I really thought that he told the truth and he gave his honest opinion on things. I thought that was awesome, man. And I can't believe that all he has is a little, little nose injury because of all that swelling. So, Erickson Lubin, I'm going to stop calling him the hammer. I'm just going to start calling him Iron Man because uh, I thought for sure he broke a bone here, his orbital bone or something like that. So for him to uh, 
you know, come away from that fight with just a little shoulder injury. I think that's amazing. And he really did have some some good moments in that fight. Um, for me, for my money, he is still a top fighter at 154. You guys got to remember, man, he's in his mid-20s. I think he's 26. So he's just going to get better. As long as he is physically recovered from that fight, and he seems to be, I think that he's going to learn a lot from it and be back uh, in title contention. And I agree with him that those titles at 54 are going to be broken up. I think at some point, um, I, I, I agree that Charlo is probably going to beat Castaño in that rematch by points. If Charlo moves up in weight, uh, all those titles become vacant. And even if Charlo stays at 54, you know how these sanctioning bodies are. There's all these mandatories and they start stripping. So at some point, I think there's going to be some titles opening up. And I, I think Lubin's going to be around and be uh, going after one of those vacant titles at some point. All right. So um, let me make sure I didn't miss any stuff here in the chat. And I hope you guys, you know, because a couple of you guys said you couldn't hear me before, but everyone else, you guys heard Erickson fine and you hear me. So uh, I think that we are good to go. Let's get into some quick news and notes. And then I got a lot to discuss. We got a lot to review, obviously. Uh, then a, a big, big weekend to preview. So, uh, well, first, I wanted to show you guys. Uh, let me make sure I have. Yeah, I want to show you guys this tweet. Because um, you guys know I, I love posting my polls and I love posting my results here. So I actually uh, tweeted this poll yesterday. Or actually, I might have posted this Saturday. Um, do you believe Tyson Fury when he says that he will not fight again? Over 2,500 of you voted. 85% of you think that he will indeed fight again. And obviously, when I said fight again, I'm talking boxing. I'm not talking about some exhibition stuff against one of these MMA guys. I'm talking about a true boxing match. And I am totally there with you guys. Uh, I'm among the 85%. I absolutely think Tyson Fury is going to fight again. So, but 15% of you take him at his word and think he will retire. Um, I, I just don't buy that. I think dude's going to fight again for sure. Uh, especially if Anthony Joshua can beat Alexander Usyk in their rematch. We'll talk more about that uh, later on. Real quick news and notes, all right? And I want to just hit on this very, very fast. I'm not going to talk too long about it. But apparently, according to reports, okay, and I use air quotes when I say uh, reports because it, the, the reporting on these things is quite sketchy these days. But the pay-per-view card between Errol Spence and Yordanus Ugas apparently sold 240,000 buys. Now, I've talked to a few industry people I know that say it didn't get anywhere near 200 and that these reports have been exaggerated. My thing is this, whether it did 150,000, 240,000, we're nitpicking over 100,000. We used to nitpick over half a million buys. Now we're we're nitpicking over like 100,000 or less buys, you know. So the um the bar has been lowered when it comes to this stuff. And I've seen some people reporting that these are solid numbers when you consider this factor and that factor and that and then I've seen other people saying this was an absolute flop and these guys lost millions and millions of dollars. Uh, I tend to think it was somewhere in the middle of that. You guys can decide, okay. Do I believe the 240,000K number? No, I don't. Um, do I know that a good portion of the 39,000 people that were in attendance came there on cop tickets or heavily discounted tickets? Yes, I do. Thousands of them. 
Still, though, at least 150,000 or so people, I think, paid for this pay-per-view. We know that millions probably illegally streamed it, and we know that tens of thousands did buy tickets, whether they were full price or discounted price to go see the fight. So all things considered, I can't call it a complete flop if you've got that many people invested in the fight, right? However, I have to say, and I tweeted about this. I tweeted a long thread about this this weekend. Um, the pay-per-view model, uh, guys, we, we got to do something different. We got to do something different here because, um, you know, if we're bickering over, you know, whether a fight did 150 or 250, and this features PBC's biggest star outside of Deontay Wilder, uh, the guy who has sold more pay-per-views in earlier fights, it really, really tells you, you know, look, I got to say, when, when his pay-per-view fight against Mikey Garcia, Errol Spence's pay-per-view fight, what was that, three years ago against Mikey Garcia, sold significantly more than this fight against Jordanus Ugas, right, which was a three-belt unification. Um, that tells you which fan base was buying into that first fight. It wasn't Errol Spence's. There was some of it. But as I've said many, many times, and I've gotten some shit for it, Mikey Garcia, <clears throat> Mikey Garcia was the commercial A-side of that attraction. You know, I, I was there. I know who, the, you know who was there to see who. And, um, you know, <clears throat> he also had a fight Spence did against Porter. That, that did very well, uh, pay-per-view fight. And then I think, what, Danny Garcia? And now this. Um, how about we get Aero Spence off pay-per-view? How about we get him in there? Um, you know, a stay busy kind of a fight on regular Fox that might help build up uh, some of that following so that, you know, if, if he's fighting exclusively on pay-per-view, my issue, with, and it's not just Errol Spence. I'm not trying to beat up an Errol Spence because it's plenty of other people. Look, man, the fight between Fury and White was on pay-per-view this weekend. I thought that was fucking stupid. I thought that was ridiculous. It should have been on regular TV here in America. But um, at least Fury has fought on regular TV, actually it wasn't that, that recently, but he has. Um, when's the last time Spence fought on regular TV? Uh, just If you're fighting only three times in three years, I think it is, and it's all on pay-per-view against guys that you are a heavy, heavy betting favorite, we know you're going to win these fights. Um, there's a ton of people that were picking Ugas, which I thought was insane. Um, but I, I look, I thought the fight would – probably go the distance. I thought it was going to go to the distance. So props to Spence for ending it early. But I'm just saying, if you got these guys fighting exclusively on pay-per-view and they're selling 200, 250,000 pay-per-view buys, like you're not building a star, dude. You got a mid-level guy there that has a niche fan base that you're bleeding, you're milking. You're not, you're not building a star. And that's my issue with, with the model right now, uh, at least here in America. Aaron with the super chat. Thank you so much, Aaron. He says, yo, Mike, I finished 16 days straight at Cairns base. If Bud moves up to 154, can he beat any of the following? Tim Zhu, Erickson Lubin, Sebastian Fondora, Brian Castaño, Jermel Charlo, etc. Can Spence beat those guys at 154? My, my hunch, Aaron, is that I think Bud and Spence could beat some of the top guys at 154 because they're going to be faster. Uh, I do think for the most part they are more skilled. I, I think they're two of the best operators in the sport. Um, at some point, the only difference I would say is 
you know, uh, Crawford's a little older and he did start at 135. I think Spence may have more success at 154 against certain fighters because I think he'll grow into that weight a little bit better. But yes, I do think they could beat some of the top guys. Do I see them dominating? Do I see them stopping a bunch of the top guys? No, I don't. I think these would all be distance fights and they, they would be close. They would be competitive for sure. Okay. Let us... Move on to the review, which is going to be loaded and full of triggers. Trigger warnings. Be prepared. All right, here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> so uh, last week, let's start Thursday. There's a club show that Golden Boy Promotions did on Thursday, April 21st at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. It was broadcast on the zone. And in the main event, I think this was a slight betting upset. Uh, Mercito Hesta. Uh, unanimous decision win in a 10-rounder over Joel Diaz Jr., 140-pound fight. I, you know, I can't remember what the line was on that. I can't remember who the favorite was, but I seem to recall Diaz being a slight favorite. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, guys. But uh, good win for Gesta. I don't know if it's Hesta, Gesta, Amarcito, Gesta, I, I do believe. Anyway, gets unanimous decision win back in the weight column. He's had a, a rough, rocky road recently in some of his recent fights. So uh, that was actually a fun club show from Golden Boy. It really was. Um, so good for them. And they need to get back into that business, doing those pretty much every month. And then Saturday, April 23rd, it was the big one uh, from uh, Top Rank and Queensberry Promotions. This was a Queensberry run card, but of course, Top Rank is invested. And this was at Wembley Stadium in London, England, apparently, according to reports. And again, I use those air quotes. 94,000 people were there in attendance at Wembley. This was broadcast here in America on ESPN pay-per-view for the price of $70. Now, uh, Tyson Fury and Dillian White, uh, this is for the Ring Magazine and WBC Championships of the World. And uh, just full disclosure, I went with my wife and we met with some friends and some members of the, the uh, gym crew that I trained with, the, the boxers that I trained with. And we met at a bar here in Atlanta. I wanted to kind of check it. Check out the scene. Uh, this bar does have, they don't hit, uh, they don't show every single fight, but they do show a lot. What I found interesting is that this bar did not have Spence versus Ugas, did not have that fight, but they had Fury versus White. Cover was $10. So it was pretty cool to walk in there, like, I don't know, 4.30 p.m. We got there right before the main event because the undercard was dog shit. <laughs> so I didn't even watch it, right? But we get there like 4.30, uh, meet with some friends, including my coach, Christian Steele. He was there. And it was a bar, but I didn't drink. I had a club soda. And so did my wife. And I had a, I did have a chicken sandwich, but my side was broccoli, not fries. So I did good. I did real good. Club soda, no ice, chicken sandwich, broccoli. Anyway, uh, 10 bucks to get in, which was cool. And I just kind of surveyed the room. And um, you could tell, like, the boxing heads from the casual fans. But there were, I got to say, probably more casual fans there than diehard boxing guys, which I found very, very interesting. Because this particular bar, I've, I've watched fights before. I want to say they had Spence versus Danny Garcia. And we went there. And that had a ton of boxing heads there. Hardcore, real boxing guys that night. And the bar was packed. Now, that was also a Saturday night. This is a bar. It was a Saturday afternoon, early evening, right? So just a different crowd. I'd say the place was half full. That was it, half full. 
But the people that showed up for the fight were definitely casual fans. And I could tell by their reactions. I can always tell when I'm in the crowd if I'm dealing with diehard boxing guys that know what they're watching or casual fans because the oohs and ahs are a little different, right? Every time uh, White lunged forward with a looping shot that had no chance in hell of landing, there was a table of like casual dudes next to us that were like, oh, getting all excited. And me and my coach were looking over there like, what the fuck are they cheering for? White missed, you know, he telegraphed that from last Tuesday. What the fuck? You could just tell. I mention this because I do feel it's important because it tells me that to a certain extent, Tyson Fury has broken through here in America with the casual fan base. It's happened. Um, what was interesting is that when they went to the main event, right, and there was all the theatrics, the, the elaborate ring walks and um, the the atmosphere showing 90,000 people and it was dark and they all had their cell phones on. So you saw the lights in the crowd. It's a very cool visual. And it pumped everybody up. It, like there was an energy in the bar, you know, even though it was half full. Most of the tables, you know, were empty. But the people that were there, they were hyped up. They were like ready for that. And people enjoyed Fury's ring walk and all the theatrics, the fireworks, and then the knockout. When Tyson Fury <clears throat> lined up Dillian White, set up the uh, right rear uppercut, one punch knockout, the place went nuts. So he has broken through. He has. Now, is he on the level of a guy like Floyd Mayweather or somebody like that? Manny Pacquiao? No. Not even, you know, Canelo Alvarez? No. Fury's not on that level. But he has broken through a little bit. Because once again, I, I surveyed the crowd. And the crowd and the people that I saw there were not the same people where I was at this very same bar a year or so before and saw Errol Spence, Danny Garcia. Those were diehard boxing guys. Those are guys who trained. I could tell these dudes knew what they were watching, right? That's not what I saw with this fight, which again tells me Spence hasn't broken through that mainstream Fury has. There's a difference there, right? But, okay, wanted to put that out there because I, I found that to be interesting. By the way, I reached out to the general manager of this bar. This particular bar is like a chain, and there's several of them around the country. And um, I'm trying to get information from him to find out just exactly how much he had to pay to get that fight, that that pay-per-view there. They did tell me so far, um, what I do know is they only have to charge half for UFC fights. They said they, they charge a $5 cover for UFC. They have to charge 10 for boxing because boxing costs them more. They have about 40 TVs in this place, which I found interesting. And I'm like, man, boxing, if they could just get their shit together, there are characters that people would like to see. But when you're paying five bucks for a UFC fight cover, it's 10 bucks for a boxing. Yeah, a lot of people are going to go to the UFC event. I'm just saying. As far as the actual fight itself goes, Tyson Fury improves to 32-0 and 0 with one draw. TKO six win over Dillian White, who dropped uh, his third. This was his third loss. Uh, and again, this was the second defense for Fury of his ring and WBC heavyweight titles. Um, White, interestingly enough, all three losses, stoppage losses, all three losses came via uppercut knockouts. Anthony Joshua landed a right uppercut. TKO seven win for Joshua. This was back in 2015, yo. This is seven years ago where Anthony Joshua basically did what Tyson Fury did last Saturday. AJ did that seven years ago to the same guy. 
All right. And then, of course, Povetkin with a left uppercut, which to me was the nastiest punch of the three. Um, just came out of nowhere with that. That was a KO5 win for Povetkin back in 2020. We know that White avenged that win last year. And then Fury gets the TKO6 win. So Dillian White, the word is out. If you have a halfway decent uppercut, you're going to knock this guy out. If you don't, and every punch is coming over the top, he tends to do pretty well. White does tire in the middle rounds of a fight. Um, it, for my money, though, you know, I, I, I got to admit, I didn't see that uppercut coming. I thought Fury was going to loop over the top with right hands and slap out his jab, which is what he did through the first five rounds. And that is why I thought this fight was going to go into the late rounds. I thought Fury possibly get a stoppage in the ninth, 10th, 11th round, something like that. I thought it'd be an accumulation kind of stoppage, an exhaustion kind of stoppage. I didn't think about that uppercut coming from Fury. But I got to say, it was pretty. And in Fury's entire career, you know, he's got some exciting wins, some, some exciting, thrilling moments and fights and stuff against Wilder. And then he's got a lot of shit, right? But those fights with Wilder is what he's known for. But he never got a one-punch knockout in a fight where he was like the champ and he was favored and um, just, you know, an explosive kind of knockout. That's what he got against White. And that, to me... Uh, is something that I guess it's it's almost like a feather in the cap. It's like um, that final seal of approval, right? That last little thing he needed to kind of get um, even further into the mainstream because that highlight reel uppercut, that was all over ESPN. That was all over Sports Center. The GIF of that, as I say, I think it's pronounced GIF, J-I-F, uh, was all over the internet, right? It was all over Twitter. Uh, YouTube and, and, and Instagram, TikTok, the rest of it. You guys have seen the clip. Fury's never really had that moment. Now he had. Now he dropped Wilder, you know, several times, but it wasn't like this, right? Because Wilder was exhausted, kind of the way he wore Deontay Wilder out in that third fight. I thought maybe this fight would look kind of like that, but explosive steps back, boom, right uppercut, really, really pretty. Real quick, let's talk about Pushgate. Because as soon as Fury landed the uppercut, uh, White was frozen stiff. He was done. And then Fury pushed him down onto the canvas. Ref didn't say a damn word. Listen, some people are saying that that was illegal. This, that, that. Listen, Fury fouled throughout this fight. He, he's not afraid to get a little dirty and a little nasty. There's a little Muhammad Ali in Tyson Fury in the way. I'm just comparing him to other heavyweights. Ali was a very dirty fighter. Got away with all kinds of stuff that most guys wouldn't get away with, at least not today, right? And Fury's he fights like that. Um, do I think the push prematurely ended the fight? Listen, if honestly the push robbed Fury of maybe an even cleaner finish. If Fury, after landing that uppercut, had stepped back and just gave a one-two, White goes night-night back on the canvas, hands sprawled out like this, and it's that even more of a highlight reel knockout for Fury. But as it played out, lands the uppercut, White's done. And he pushes him down. Uh, I thought the ref stopping it was fine. I really didn't think that push warranted some sort of uh, foul or, or, you know, no contest. I've seen some people saying weird stuff on Twitter. Look, man, White was done. And he was done from a punch. Yeah, the push isn't technically, you're not supposed to do that. 
But Delia White was finished from a punch. So I, I, I overlooked that. And Fury was grabbing White behind his head and ramming him into him and headbutt him, cut open his eye. Like all that stuff was going on earlier. White was getting chippy and hitting on the break. Both of these guys were getting a little scrappy and a little dirty in there. So look, the push, it is what it is. As far as I'm concerned, it's a knockout win for Fury. And the push really had little outcome um, on the fight. White was done. Okay, so let, let's just get that out of the way. Um, I talked about this earlier. Which Tyson Fury was going to show up for this fight against Dillian White? And I told you guys I expected the best version of Wild uh, Fury. I expected the guy that we saw in the rematch against Wilder. Um, and that's what we got. Now, style-wise, Fury fought like the guy who fought Klitschko. He fought like the guy who fought uh, Wilder in the first fight. He fought like the guy that fought Otto Valin. Like that's the because that's really how Tyson Fury fights, right? It's out of character for him to roll downhill on a guy the way he did against Wilder in the, their second and third fights. That's generally not how he fights, but he fought specifically that way for Wilder to take steam off of his punches, off the right hand, right, and to push him back because Wilder can't fight that way. Uh, with White, he didn't want to get inside. He was looking for that left hook. You saw Fury's right hand was pinned to the side of his head for a lot of those early rounds, and he was looking for that looping left hook over the top. White could never throw it. Every time he got close, he could get it to the body, but Fury would avoid it. He'd get an angle, and White felt so uncomfortable that he didn't even throw the left hook over the top. He didn't throw one of them. He threw some looping right hands that were telegraphed from last Friday. But he did not loop the left hand over the top once. And that was his best chance early on to maybe catch Fury with something kind of while he's still kind of cold. Um, catch him with a shot that like Steve Cunningham and other guys have caught him with. Uh, there's a Canadian fighter that dropped Fury. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, those guys have kind of caught him with looping shots over the top. And uh, White just never got that done. Some people are saying White, you know, uh, had done of a performance. Maybe. I do think the moment got to him a little bit. The, the stage for this was on another level, and he just hasn't been on this stage. You know, Fury has had three big fights against uh, Wilder, but even more than that, I really think it's the fight against Klitschko because that was in Germany. That was on Klitschko's home turf, and that was a big, big event over there in Germany. So, you know, Fury's had some of these big events. The moment didn't get to him. He embraced it. I think the moment got to Dillian White a little bit. He looked a little frozen. He looked a little stiff. It looked a little unsure, and he looked a little bit out of his depth. I got to be honest. Um, I still think Dillian White's a top ten heavyweight. I don't know. I don't think he's a top five heavyweight. I think we saw his level. You know, maybe uh, some of us expected a little more out of him than he than he showed, <clears throat> but he's still a top ten heavyweight. Um, so, if Dillian White chooses to fight on, I don't know if he should. He just got a career high payday, but he's been stopped three times by uppercuts. The word is out. Everyone that fights this guy is going to line up an uppercut. Just shoot shots over the middle early on. Get him raising his his, uh, his guard a little bit. Blind him a little bit with a jab and come underneath. You got it. Or you could do like Povetkin did and just slip a shot and counter uppercut. It's there. Uh, what was brilliant about what Fury did is he did the slap jab. And if you look, Fury wasn't coming downhill with that jab. He was coming up with it, slapping up with it. And he was slapping White on the left side of White's face. And he was doing that to move White's head where he wanted it. 
to a certain little sweet spot where he could crank that right uppercut. He was setting up that uppercut in that sequence for 10 seconds or so. He slap jabbed over to the side of White's head to move it over and then came with that right uppercut. Beautiful stuff. Textbook stuff. Tyson Fury has a great ring IQ. He was in there with a guy that just did not have the skills or the size to be in there with him. Is it just me or did uh, Dillian White look like he was six feet tall in this fight? He looked like he was six one or something. He certainly did not look like he was six four. Just did not. Uh, when Fury was in there against Wilder, Wilder looked not, you know, he was smaller, of course, but Wilder looked tall and long against Fury. So did Klitschko. White, he's listed as 6'4". I don't believe that. I don't think he's above 6'1", 6'2", tops, because the height difference was so apparent. And then White, you know, uh, was crouching down, too, and really just keeping his head on the line. Um, so, all right, you guys got – we got a couple super chats here. I want to make a couple more quick points, and I promise you I will get to these super chats, okay, and then we'll move on. But the big debate right now is, is Tyson Fury – the greatest heavyweight of all time. Okay. <laughs> As you can imagine, I have, um, it's, those of you who follow me on Twitter, you saw some of the tweets I responded to. The Tyson Fury fans, some of you guys, have absolutely lost your minds. You've lost your minds. It's, there are two different things I want to separate here. Two different items, Okay. Tyson Fury and his all-time great ranking among the best heavyweights ever. That's one item. And then the mythical boxing nerd head-to-head matchup stuff. How you think Fury would do against Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis, Jack Dempsey, those guys, Larry Holmes, right? Those are two very different things. Now, I want to make this really clear. Okay, I want to make something very, very clear. In terms of the head-to-head mythical matchup stuff, I don't think it's crazy if you think that Tyson Fury beats Muhammad Ali or beats Joe Lewis or any of these guys, I would say from before the 90s. Okay, here's why I say that. Now, listen, listen, I'm not necessarily saying I agree. I'm not necessarily saying I feel Fury beats Ali or Lewis, but I would entertain that topic. And I think you can make reasonable arguments both ways. All right. But I do think Tyson Fury poses a stylistic nightmare for any heavyweight in the history of boxing. I really, truly believe that based on what we've seen from him. It is not much. We've only seen a couple of little things we could go to, right? We saw a few fights with Deontay Wilder, who I think is one of the most overrated fighters of this century, of the last 20 years, the last 22 years, sorry. And we saw how he did against Klitschko, which was a god-awful fight. Rematch never happened, blah, 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 blah. I've been down that road a million times. Um, but that's it. That's really all we've seen, okay? But it was a, there was enough there. There was enough of a sample size where I can say this guy is a difficult night at the office for any of the greatest heavyweights in the history of this sport. So I entertain some of those points of view that I've seen on Twitter. 
I actually am like, okay, I could, you know what you say, six foot nine guy that can box, that can use his height. Ali can't reach up and grab the back of his head and pull him down like he did to everybody. Um, you know, Ali can't do some of the things he used to do against guys who are six one, six two. Um, he can't do that against Fury, right? Uh, he can't do his lean back against Fury because Fury's arms are too damn long. You know, Ali can only lean back so far. So, um, yeah, I, I, I can entertain all of that. However, and this is where the Tyson Fury fans have shit the bed, as they say. They've just lost their mind. Calling him not only the greatest heavyweight of this era, which is still up for debate, in my opinion, until he fights the winner of Usyk Joshua 2. But if you he, he's in that discussion, obviously, and he's the number one guy right now, obviously, right? You cannot deny that. But you guys are not only calling him a top 10 all-time great heavyweight. There's a lot of you out there calling him the greatest heavyweight of all time. Slow the hell down. When you actually look at resume, okay, here are the facts of the situation. Just real quick, real brief. In 2015, Fury is a mandatory. He wins a mandatory position by beating Christian Hammer. He used performance-enhancing drugs against Christian Hammer. We know this. UCAD found out he had steroids in this. It's not shit that you get from, you know, oh, my meat. My meat had some clombuterol in it. No, no. These were actual steroids. Okay. In my opinion, this is, and this is what I'm about to say is complete conjecture. No evidence of this. But if you're using steroids to fight Christian Hammer, something tells me you're probably going to go back to that if you're going up against Vladimir Klitschko. But either way, either way, we'll never know. Beats Vladimir Klitschko in 2015. Then he's out of the ring for two and a half years. The rematch with, which, with Klitschko, which Klitschko wanted, did not materialize. Now we can, was it just depression, mental illness, which never seemed to bother Fury since or before, but this two and a half year, this 30 month hiatus, was it just due to mental illness and depression or was it due to some other factors going on? maybe a combination of all these things. I don't know. We'll never know for sure. But what we do know is that Fury was out of the ring for 30 months. Every organization stripped him. Everyone universally stripped him, including Ring Magazine. So for ESPN and the promoters to say that his fights, his comeback fights in 2018 against Safer Safari and uh, Francesco Pignetta, that those were T- lineal title defenses and he has eight or whatever they i think they say eight or nine uh defenses of his lineal championship i'm sorry that's nonsense you cannot be out of the ring for 30 months and be stripped by every organization be suspended by the british commission retroactively coincidentally enough not retroactive to when he actually took the steroids or got caught doing it but retroactive to just after the klitschko fight which was really really odd never happened in the history of the sport I digress. You can't have all that happen and still be the lineal champion. So let's just put that to bed, okay? He's got the W against Klitschko in 2015. Not one defense of that lineal, legitimate, unified championship. Because Vladimir was the champion, right? Forget about Deontay Wilder, Berman Stavern. Uh, Wilder refused step aside money to let Klitschko fight Stavern because Wilder got tuned up in training, sparring with Vladimir Klitschko. I know people who were there. I heard the stories. 
Zion was just warming up and fucking around and tuned Wilder's ass up. Okay. So they wanted none of that. Anyway, doesn't matter. Fury was the legitimate champion. Then there's this hiatus, comes back. And when by the time you got to Fury Wilder 2, those are the two top-rated heavyweights in the world because Anthony Joshua had recently lost to Andy Ruiz. So regardless of all the shit that I just mentioned, when Fury beat Wilder in the rematch, boom, new lineage because that was number one versus number two. So I recognize Wilder as the legitimate Ring Magazine, Lineal, and WBC champion. He defended that championship exactly twice, guys, twice against Deontay Wilder for a third time, was dropped twice in that fight before stopping him, and then against Dillian White. Um, Both top 10 heavyweights, but I still would say that Deontay Wilder is one of the most overrated fighters of the last 20-some-odd years. Just completely overrated. His entire legacy is predicated upon knocking out a bunch of guys that wouldn't even be anywhere near the top 10 in the 1990s, okay? So, here's my question to you. Is there any all-time great fighter in the history of this sport that you can name that has two title defenses? Two. Can you name one? Keep in mind, Fury won the first championship in 2015, okay? In the last seven years, it's been a seven-year span, two title defenses of the ring in WBC titles. So let's take ring out of it. Let's take lineal out of it and just look at the sanctioning organizations. Guys, we are in what they call the four belt era, right? Four belt era. But that's kind of a crock of shit because a lot of these divisions have seven or eight belts because the WBA has like three champions in the division. The WBC has two in multiple divisions. So we really live in an era where it's you could call it like the seven belt era. If you think about it, with all the interim and silver and diamond and gold belts and regular and super, right? In that era where there are 5,000 belts floating around, in the era where Gervonta Davis is called a four-time world champion, right? Tyson Fury has two title defenses. So I'm not saying all of this to hate on Tyson Fury. Not saying it's a hate on the guy at all. Everything I just stated, except for some of the steroid stuff, which is just in my opinion, as it relates to Klitschko. Everything else I just said is an absolute fact, okay? Can you rate a guy among the top 10 heavyweights of all time with two title defenses? My answer to that is no. Now, here's what Fury has done. He's provided unbelievable moments exciting moments, drama, stuff that they're going to make movies about. Him getting up in the 12th round against Deontay Wilder, right? That is going to be something that really, honestly, there's going to be a movie about that one day. There's going to be documentaries. ESPN's already done a thousand vignettes about it, right? Fury coming back from the brink of disaster after Klitschko. Again, and who knows what it was. It was a hodgepodge, a mix of all kinds of stuff. There was performance-enhancing drugs, cocaine, a lot of booze, a lot of other recreational drugs, 100 pounds of weight gain, depression, suicidal thoughts, all these things. He comes back from the brink of that to become the man of the heavyweight division. That is really inspirational, powerful stuff. 
right? He has this um, really exciting trilogy with Deontay Wilder. Maybe not the most um, technically brilliant fights, because I look at the, we're going to get a trilogy between Golovkin and Canelo, the skill level of that trilogy, eons above what we saw between Fury and Wilder, but the drama in the moments we got from that trilogy, unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. Fury has all that. So let me tell you this. If Fury were to retire tomorrow, and I don't believe he will, I think he'll absolutely be back. If I'm on the voting block, I vote for him for the Hall of Fame first ballot. Don't even question it. He has done enough right now, even though his ring accomplishments are minimal and his resume is pretty light. The moments he has provided and stepping up at the biggest stage, having his biggest moments at the biggest stage, right? When he's... um, at, at his biggest fights and, and performing at a level good enough to get the job done um, and often in dramatic fashion. There's enough there where he warrants Hall of Fame credentials right now if he retires, okay? So I'm telling you guys right now, I rate him as the number one heavyweight in the world. He is the man. He's the legitimate champion right now, I feel. And he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. The second he walks away, never has to fight again. He's done that. But all-time great heavyweight? guys. You got to have the resume to back that up. Now, I say all that, and there's some of you will be like, well, head to head, he beats Joe Lewis, six foot nine versus six foot. That's a different discussion. Different discussion. And all that is just, it's, it's, um, I was going to say metaphysical. Uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. It's all in your head. It's all mentally, you know, how you feel, what you prefer. Okay. It's not factual. But I can look at actual resumes and look at accomplishments and title defenses and all these things, and we can stack up those statistics. And to me, Tyson Fury doesn't outrate Vladimir Klitschko yet. I don't even know if he outrates Vitaly Klitschko. Maybe, maybe, maybe he he outranks Vitaly Klitschko, who's somewhere in the top 15. Actually, yeah, you know what? I, I'll say that. Because I, I would put Vitaly somewhere in the bottom of the top 20 all time. I might put Fury around 15 or so. Vlad is in the top dozen, maybe even top 10. Lennox Lewis, there are people on Twitter saying that Tyson Fury has surpassed Lennox Lewis. You people are insane. You're just insane. Again, let me read this. Since since beating Vladimir Klitschko in 2015, okay, that seven years, over seven years, all right? Fury is 8-0 with five knockouts. I'm sorry, uh, there's also a draw in there. But he beat Sefer Safari, Francesco Pianetta, Tom Schwartz, Otto Valin, Deontay Wilder two or three times, depending on how you score, and Dillian White. That resume, while I would say he gets in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, because of everything I just said, that's not an all-time great resume. That's not me hating everybody. That's just, that's just factual. So you can, you can deal with those facts or you can just get mad. I know some of you would do. <clears throat> okay. Super chat from Anthony Santiago. Thank you, Anthony. I appreciate it, brother. He says, I don't think Fury wants anything to do with Usyk. Boxing Grant played a clip of Tyson Fury talking about Steve Cunningham being so difficult because he was smaller and skilled. Imagine Usyk, LOL. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick, Anthony. So um, a lot of people are playing that. I was going to play it. I, you know, I didn't want to be like everybody else. Um, but uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast years ago, a couple years ago, I think it was after maybe the first fight with Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury talked about his toughest fight 
at that point was against Steve Cunningham because he was a little guy, fast, just above 200 pounds naturally. Uh, Southpaw <clears throat> could move his feet pretty well, could move his hands pretty well. And he said that he couldn't do shit with him. And he had to get physical and just kind of rag down him a little bit and um, fight really dirty, which he did in that fight. And um, that's how he beat him. And he said that that was his most difficult opponent to date. Now, maybe Fury would answer that question differently today. I don't know. But um, Steve Cunningham did drop him and dropped him pretty good. Uh, it was a great shot that Cunningham landed. It was probably the best punch of his entire career, honestly. But uh, Steve Cunningham is half the fighter Alexander Usyk is, right? And I'm not saying that to disrespect him, but that's just the reality. I, Alexander Usyk is either the number one or number two cruiserweight of all time. It's between him and Evander Holyfield. He's the most accomplished cruiserweight of all time. Certainly more accomplished than Evander Holyfield at cruiserweight, not at heavyweight, but at cruiserweight. So it's between him and Evander, how you rate him, number one, number two. And at heavyweight, look, at cruiserweight, Usyk won all five of the belts, ring, BC, BA, BO, IBF. At heavyweight, he's won three of the five already. He's done all this in less than 20 fights. He's the same size as Steve Cunningham, but stronger, more skilled, much better chin. Hands are just as fast. Feet are much, much better. Everything Steve Cunningham had, Usyk has better. The only thing where Cunningham may have a, maybe is an inch or so in hand speed. That's it. So if he had so much trouble with Cunningham, and he never fights Usyk. If Usyk beats Joshua in their rematch, and by the way, guys, that's not a given. Usyk has been at war. So Joshua could win that rematch. I don't want you know, a lot of people think that's a foregone conclusion. You need to slow down with that. Joshua can win that rematch. But what will be very interesting is if Joshua does win the rematch, I think Fury comes back and fights him. And there's a bunch of reasons to fight Joshua. Because Joshua's the pretty boy. He's the privileged kid who's had a golden road pay for him since the Olympics. A lot of people thought that he got some home cooking in that Olympic gold medal match. I remember watching that live and thinking, I don't think he won that fight, right? In, in London, the game's there in London. It, it, dude's been a star since he went pro. All his fights on TV, right? Most famous sportsman over there in the UK for years and years and years. And Fury's kind of had to live in the shadows, and go do it the hard way. He had to come to America and build himself up. And, you know, he had to go to Germany, then to America. So I think for Fury, it would be very satisfying to get a fight against Anthony Joshua. And if they just did 90,000 or whatever there at Wembley, they blow the roof off the place between the two of them, right? So I do think he would fight Joshua. But if Usyk wins, does Tyson Fury fight Alexander Usyk? Because it doesn't make as much money is a fight between him and Joshua makes. It probably doesn't even make as much money as a fight between him and Francis Ngannou makes, the MMA guy, who Fury would destroy if they ever do a fight. Um, it probably doesn't make as much money as that. But I'm telling you, in terms of hardware, if Fury were to beat Usyk, you're beating a guy who, again, number one or number two all time at cruiserweight and highly accomplished already as a heavyweight, uh, if he by that time Usyk would have two wins over Joshua, um, I think it'd be substantial. But I want to see what happens. I want to see how all that plays out. Slide tendencies with the super chat. He says hashtag Montero on boxing. I appreciate that slide. Says uh, White's walkout costume was heavy and trained. <laughs> all right, you got me with that shit, bro. I was not expecting that. 
Ah, good shit. Good shit. Good shit, Sly. White's walkout costume was heavy and drained him. Ah, good shit. Uh, Anthony with another super chat. He says, I test says Fury can give any heavyweight ever a difficult fight. 100% agree with you. 100% Anthony. But he adds, on accomplishments, he's not even a Hall of Famer, but he'll most likely get in. LOL. Once again, completely agree with you. That's the comment of the day. Um, and listen, I would vote for him for Hall of Fame just because of everything I said. Moments, drama. I think all those style points, those things matter. Okay, so I think he's gonna, he'd get in. I would vote for him. But all-time great? No. No, 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 no. Just not. Just not. Sam with the Super Chase. Lennox Lewis fought six foot eight Vitali on three three weeks' notice and took big shots and still recovered and made it a street fight and stopped the better Klitschko. So, Sam, I disagree that Vitali was the better Klitschko. Uh, Vitali's resume is dog shit compared to his brother's. But I understand a lot of American fans completely agree with you um, and think that Vitali's the better one. And it's solely based on that fight with Lennox Lewis. Um, I also don't think Vitaly is really 6'8". I think he's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, I think Vladimir six 6'5". I've met both of them. They're not quite as tall as advertised. I don't think Fury's 6'9". I think he's 6'8". All these guys usually add an inch. Um, but all that being said, you are correct. Lennox took on uh, his mandatory and Vitaly Klitschko on uh, short notice. Uh, Style-wise, I just thought Lennox was um, – he had the style – to give Vitaly issues and uh, in shape, uh, Lennox, I thought I always thought would beat Vitaly just style wise. Uh, the one that was going to give him a tougher fight, and this is per Emmanuel Stewart, said it out of his own mouth, that was Vladimir. And I totally agree, just in terms of styles. Anyway, you're right. Uh, I, I just, you know, listen, man, a prime Vladimir Klitschko, a prime Lennox Lewis, both beat Tyson Fury, in my opinion. A prime Vitaly Klitschko, that would have been a really interesting fight. Because Vitaly has that iron will and iron chin. Very slow compared to Fury. Um, and Fury's punches would have, I think, maybe softened him up and busted him up a little bit. That would have been a battle of attrition. That would have been one hell of a heavyweight matchup. That would have been so fun. So, so fun to watch. John Uda with the Super Chat. What's up, John? I ain't seen you in a while, man. He says, uh, Fury has proven Manny Stewart right. After years of waiting for someone to expose him, now I refuse to bet against the guy. You know what? You're right. I mean, listen, everything I just said about Alexander Usyk, I have to fully admit, if Fury and Usyk ends up happening, I'm betting on Fury. Not that I'm a betting man. I don't bet. But if I were going to, I'd bet on Fury. Just with his size and his boxing IQ. And I know I'm being a hypocrite. I'm just at a point where I just I would never bet against the dude in this era. I just wouldn't bet against him. However, um, I do think Usyk could beat him. I really, really do. Okay, let's um, let's get to this preview. Okay, we have much to preview, guys. We're already an hour in. <clears throat> so, uh, Saturday, April 30th, we have two big cards here in the United States. Let's start in New York at the MSG uh, Hulu Theater. This is, of course, uh, being brought to you by Matchroom and, uh, and uh, Logan Paul. Who's the other one? Jake Paul, Jake Paul's promotional company, uh, broadcast on the zone and a pretty good card from top to bottom here. Uh, but let's talk about this main event real quick. 
Katie Taylor going up against Amanda Serrano. This is for the undisputed women's lightweight championship of the world. I'll break that down in just a second. I want to get to these undercard fights. Uh, Franchon Cruz Desern going up against Eileen Sederos, and they are going to completely unify the super middleweight division. So this is interesting, man. Um, so we got two complete undisputed women's championship fights on this card. I think that's pretty unprecedented. And uh, for Cruz Desern, I met her. Last year here in Atlanta, she sang the national anthem for my fight <laughs> uh, at uh, Corporate Fight Night. We were raising money for charity. Uh, the WBC was involved. They brought uh, Cruz Desern there. And uh, she's an awesome, awesome person. She's a super cool, super cool chick. She could fight, too. And uh, she lost her pro debut against Clarissa Shields, but she has won seven since. She had a no contest against Alejandra Jimenez in 2020. Jimenez won that fight, and then after the fight, in the post-fight interview, she talked like this. And I'm on Twitter like, guys, something's up with this chick. She, had a, she has a voice like a fucking tuba. And everyone shits down my throat. Oh, no, no, Montero. And then what happens? Oh, she's busted for steroids. And we haven't heard from her since. So anyway, that's a no contest. Uh, Cruz uh, really got – Cruz Desert got screwed over in that fight. Uh, them just putting her against Jimenez. Who, who's a juicer. Um, so anyway, 7-0 with one no contest since that pro loss to Clarissa Shields. And by the way, that was, uh, again, her pro debut. So so going in there against Shields, who had a lot more experience in the amateurs and stuff at that point, uh, she learned a lot from that fight. It has improved vastly. Uh, so there was no fights in 2021. She won her belts in 2020 against uh, Alicia Napoleon Espinosa. And um, this will be the first defense of her two unified titles. Sideros has two unified titles, and Cruz Desern has two unified titles as well. So they're going to be combining that whole thing. Also on the undercard, Jesse Vargas versus Liam Smith in a 10-round junior middleweight fight. Vargas has not fought since uh, had unanimous decision loss to Mikey Garcia in 2020. Did not fight last year. In 2021, Smith went one and one. And then also a two-time Olympian out of the UK. He got gold in 2020. Galal Yafai, flyweight prospect, will be on. Uh, so back to the main event. Taylor, 20-0, going up against Amanda Serrano, 42-1-1. These women, their path to this point, very different. So with Taylor, she came up in the amateurs. What's interesting here, guys, even though Taylor hasn't been a pro uh, that long, Taylor went pro in 2016 and Serrano went pro in 2009. Uh, Taylor's the older fighter. She's 35. Serrano's 33. Taylor, what an amateur uh, record she had. Um, she had five times she won gold at the AIBA World Championships. That's significant. Went to the Olympics twice, got gold in 2012. So highly accomplished as an amateur. Serrano didn't have those amateur accolades. She built herself up in the pro game. She fought three MMA fights as well. She's kind of very well-rounded in martial arts, not just boxing. But she has fought between 115 and 140 pounds. Most of her fights have been like featherweight or, or under, right? So she's been in there against smaller women. Meanwhile, Taylor, she's fought the much better opposition in the amateurs, it's it's night and day difference. But even in the pros, she's fought better opposition, and she's fought the bigger, stronger women. Uh, so 
what I find interesting, and by the way, this is the sixth defense of Taylor's uh, lightweight championship. What I find interesting about this, there are so many people picking Serrano. Dare I say more than half of my Twitter timeline is picking Serrano. And most of the American fans I'm seeing are picking Serrano. I find that very interesting. Um, and in my opinion, based on all the accomplishments I stated for Katie Taylor, both amateur and pro, I think that's highly disrespectful. I think this woman is really underrated. Look, Taylor has had a couple of close calls a couple of times in some close fights. People thought that she got some home cooking. I get all that. But if you look at her resume, it's pretty good. Um, and, and she's definitely done more than Serrano. Now, Serrano's a damn good fighter. And I think she's among the top female fighters in the world, pound for pound. I really, really do. And by the way, the winner of this fight is the top woman fighter in the world. Let's end that debate, okay? Because when Ring Magazine put Katie Taylor number one and Clarissa Shields number two, that sparked this big debate um, on in the boxing Twitter universe. Whoever wins this fight's number one, pound for pound. And that debate should be over. Now, if Shields and Savannah Marshall fight later this year, we can have a different discussion at that time. But before that, winner of this fight, this Saturday, pound for pound, number one woman in the world. For my money, Katie Taylor wins this fight by decision. I think she's getting really, really disrespected coming into this fight. And um, people are really just selling her short. I don't understand it. Five-time world champion, two-time Olympian, gold at one of those Olympics, 20-0 as a pro, completely cleaned out the lightweight division, has fought the bigger, much better opposition, has defeated uh, opponents on the Ring Magazine women's pound-for-pound list. Serrano isn't near any of that. And that's not to diminish Serrano's accomplishments because she had to work her way up in that, you know, I talked before about the difference between Anthony Joshua and uh, Tyson Fury. You could kind of say the same thing here. Katie Taylor's kind of had a golden road paved for her. There's been some privilege there. And Serrano's had to work her way up, right? So you can make the same comparisons here. But I just think the disrespect of Katie Taylor. And look, look, I'll own it if Serrano wins this fight. I'll own it. But Gibby Taylor on points, 116, 112, three times. That's how I see this fight. Now, let's go over to Las Vegas, top rank on ESPN. Um, before we get to the main event, Keyshawn Davis, 2020 American Olympian, silver medalist, 140-pound prospect, trains and spars with Terrence Crawford. He's going to be on this card. If you haven't seen him fight yet, make sure you check that out, okay? Uh, I don't know if it will be on the ESPN broadcast or maybe the ESPN Plus undercards. Make sure you check this kid out. He's the goods. I'm telling you right now. All right, uh, main event, Shakur Stevenson going up against Oscar Valdez. Uh, both these guys have world titles at 130. They'll be unifying. They both won titles at 126 before moving up to 130. Both men are highly accomplished as amateurs. But uh, Stevenson, 17-0 as a pro, went to the 2016 Olympics, has the WBO 130-pound title, a southpaw, a tall, rangy, defensive-minded southpaw, one of the harder guys to hit cleanly in the sport of boxing, at least so far in his career. Valdez, 30-0, has the WBC version of the 130-pound title, 2008 and 2012 Olympian. A lot of people forget 
that Valdez is not just one-time, but two-time Olympian. Very accomplished as an amateur, which you don't see out of the Mexican system a lot of times. And uh, Valdez is another one of these guys that's kind of American, kind of Mexican, kind of both, but uh, claims Mexican nationality and fought for the Olympics uh, for Mexico. Uh, again, I mentioned both guys won titles at 126. Here's the big difference. Big difference. Shakur Stevenson won a vacant belt, I think, at 126. Zero defenses. Won a belt, immediately moved up to 130. Valdez won a belt at 126, defended it six times before he moved up. At 130, Shakur Stevenson, this is the first defense of the belt he just won off Jamel Herring last year in Atlanta. I was ringside for that fight. What a breakthrough performance for Stevenson. Fought brilliantly, brilliantly, and really grew up in front of my eyes that night. Uh, brilliant performance. But this will be the first defense, actually the first defense of any world title he's held, which is interesting because nobody else in media has mentioned that. He's mentioned as a two-division title holder, all this. This is first defense, man. So it's a big deal. Uh, for Valdez, this will be the second defense of the 130-pound belt that he won against Miguel Burchelt, who hasn't looked good since that fight. So that win has kind of been diminished for Valdez over the last year or so, right? Uh, but all things considered, um, Shakur Stevenson has zero title defenses, and Oscar Valdez has seven. So in terms of experience on the pro level, you got to give the edge to Valdez here. And in terms of amateurs, two-time Olympian versus one-time Olympian, you got to give the edge to Valdez there too. I think you do. Valdez is seven years older and been a pro for five years longer. All right? All that being said, all that being said, bet the bank on Shakur Stevenson in this fight. He's taller. He's longer. He's younger. I think he's the naturally stronger, bigger guy. <clears throat> being at 130, at what, 23, 24, however old Shakur Stevenson is, versus being at 130 at 31, which is where Valdez is, you can see the difference, okay? By the time Shakur Stevenson is in his 30s, where Valdez is right now, Stevenson will be, be at 140 or 147. He is going to fill out to a junior welterweight, welterweight uh, fighter. And he, he's, I think he's going to carry some of the power with him because he hits you with shots you don't see coming. Uh, so he will definitely be at 140 one day. He will win titles at 135 and 140. Okay, this kid's the goods. I like Valdez. I think he's going to bring this fight. I think he's going to have moments early on. I even think he might be able to loop a big shot upstairs and hurt Stevenson, maybe even Stevenson up on the ropes at one point. If Valdez can push him back and kind of maul him a little bit, bully him, and get a big looping shot over the top, start at the body like a boom, boom, boom up top, right? Um, and hurt Stevenson. It wouldn't shock me to see a flash knockdown early scored for Valdez. Wouldn't shock me at all. But I expect Stevenson to adjust and find his distance and range and everything in the middle rounds, and I expect him to dominate in the late rounds of this fight. And I could see it going all 12. I can also see – a corner stoppage, a ref stoppage, or a cut, a swollen eye, a facial injury type of stoppage late for Shakur Stevenson. So I would I would say 117, 111 Stevenson or a possible late stoppage. I don't see a one-punch knockout, 
but I see kind of a wearing down, kind of the way he did to Jamel Herring. I could see that happening here because you're dealing with a guy in Valdez who's naturally smaller, older, worn down a little bit, had a longer amateur career, longer pro career. Uh, you guys remember the fight against Scott Quigg, broke his jaw. He's been dropped in fights, right? I've seen him dropped in multiple fights. Uh, Ruben Tamayo, I think, on the Bradley – was that Bradley Vargas undercard? Uh, I can't remember. Um, but I, I saw him ringside, dropped a couple times. So so all that counts. And I think it's going to start to reveal itself in the middle to late rounds of this fight. After Valdez has some moments early on. That's how I see this thing playing out. All right, guys. All right. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> Toreen says, Reynoso ain't throwing in no towel, Mike. Yeah, you're probably right about that. You're probably right about that. So maybe um, maybe the ring doctor stops the fight, the ref stops the fight, something like that. I could see that happening. I could definitely see that happening. Okay. Yeah, I think we're all caught up on chat. And we can now go to the phones. I hope the phones work because I still am having some weird echo stuff. And I don't know what's going on, guys. I promise I'll get this fixed next week. But I hope that you guys are all hearing me good. Uh, I hope we can hear the phones. Let's jump to them. <clears throat> all right, 317, <coughs> you're on the show. What's up? <clears throat> yeah, okay. All right, no call audio. Shit. It's weird, man, because I can hear you, but there's something with the inputs that isn't right. Um, shit. Yeah, dog, I'm probably going to have to probably gonna have to stop it here. I'm sorry, Jack. I'm sorry to everybody on the phones, but there's something up with, I don't know if it's the, the phone software or something. It's not coming through. <clears throat> so, Jack, I'm going to let you go, bro. All right. Jack says Usyk will beat Fury, everybody. Jack says Usyk will beat Fury. Damn. All right. So I, something's up with the phones. I'm so sorry, guys, because some of you guys have been on hold for like the whole time. Uh, so it's just me. I'm going to ramble for a couple more minutes here, and then we'll um, we'll wrap up this episode. I apologize. We will get that fixed. And um, we'll get that fixed for Friday because I definitely want to do a Friday wrap-up because we have two really, really good fights this weekend, and I want to make sure – we have a Friday wrap-up. Damn, man, I'm wondering what the hell happened with that shit. That pisses me off that the phones – I hate when – and you guys got to understand, it's nothing I did. I keep the settings the same. But what happens, it's either between YouTube, the phone software. I'm using like three or four different programs at once for everything. And um, one of those programs probably did some sort of update. It didn't tell everybody. And now I'm going to have to go through and find out what the hell they did and update all my shit. That's how this thing works. So I apologize. And I promise that we'll do a show Friday to make up for this. All right, guys. Um, in the meantime, let's wrap this up. I like Katie Taylor on points. I like Shakur Stevenson, either by late stoppage or points. That's what I see. Am I crazy about uh, Tyson Fury? Am I crazy about Tyson Fury not being an all-time great? Let me know. I promise I'm not hating. I promise. All right, guys. Have a good one. Peace. See you Friday.